And welcome to the Dice Are Screaming podcast. Oh, I'm Randy. I am Mike. And together we form the two-headed literary etin of bad gaming podcasts. So welcome. <laughs> oh, you flatter us way too much. More like the weak bladder of gaming podcasts. Really? Well. <laughs> There's a small amount of leakage. leakage. It's, it's not consequential at this stage. <laughs> I was going to say where the... Bleak and depressing podcast in an otherwise bleak and depressing world that's on fire and uh, being hit by very storms. But the Franz Kafka cockroach of gaming podcasts. Yes, yes, I like that. Kafka esque. Mm-hmm. I got to you. We're absurd uh, and pretty much uh, useless for most intents and purposes. But it, you know, you enjoy us, then we've achieved our goal. So. Yeah, no call-ins this week, but it's been a, uh, well, I'm not going to even try to put a cherry on top. It's been a depressing week, so. Yeah, um, my, my beloved cat died. Not yeah, even, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not engaging in, in humorous discourse here. Uh, my, my beloved pet, uh, Fritz, is no longer with us. Uh, yes, I had Fritz the cat. He had a cat named Fritz. Yeah. You the, figure it out. Yeah. you. <laughs> some of you will get this reference. Others Probably don't need to. No. Um, <laughs> but, uh, laughter aside, it was a very solemn and un- unpleasant uh, weekend. So, I'm very happy to be back in podcast land doing something far more entertaining. And much more cheering. Yeah, and uh, as we wound up last week's uh, finale with the mashup between uh, Palace of Silver Princess and... Curse of the Crimson Throne, we were uh, able to kind of put a lid on the failed experiment that we like to call Summer Gaming Camp. Maybe we'll do it again next year. We'll revisit it a little bit more. We wanted to have a little bit more activities and some things uh, for you listeners at home and uh, participate in. But, uh, you know, things being what they are, it was hard-pressed to get us together for very long and uh, do much. So here we are in a... Lowered expectations level of just once a week. But man, what we have cooked up, I hope, has been good. And uh, you guys have really been responding well to it. So maybe we've done right by uh, putting us at just just a little bit of an hour podcast. A little bit of an easing you listening while you're painting your miniatures. Or uh, throwing darts at uh, the cat. Or, uh, <laughs> or I mean, I'm um, at the household pets. And... Uh, Whatever it is that you do, maybe you listen to us in those hours. Let us know what, uh, when you listen to us, and uh, we'd like to hear about that. Maybe we'll put some of that on the air, even if you uh, message us uh, directly, either on Twitter. Although I'm going to go on a little bit of rant here about Twitter. I, I think I'm pretty much done with Twitter. Well, it's a tough venue to work yeah, with for I, me I, because, I mean, anything... All right, moment of confession. For those of you who had no idea about this... <laughs> I'm somewhat long-winded, <laughs> and and anything that I really feel like saying, I tend to want to say well and say thoroughly. I, I want to really parse it out, be very precise, and get the full extent of, of uh, what I mean completely across. Uh, Twitter does not lend itself to that well. It's a incredibly demanding... Uh, <laughs> It's a very demanding mistress that to make the best use of Twitter, you have to 
squeeze an enormous amount of meaning into a very small number of words. And that's not my strong suit, man. I, it's why I pop in, I, I say hi, and I like some people's stuff, and I, I see what's on the old timeline. Uh, but I, I don't generate a lot of content there because it, there's such an enormous restriction on the number of characters you can use. So not, not my favorite. Well, that's called being concise. I find that when I have to lower my word count, I go back to my revisions where I wasn't exactly clear, and that's the first thing that I start getting rid of. I can make good use of Twitter. I've done 20-page uh, rambling uh, discourses on what I think somebody's wrong, and I've had it used against me as well, which I really appreciate being proven wrong. Uh, that being said, if people think I got things skinned, uh, you should see some of my previous history. I've been on there for oh, some time now, and... So long that I really doesn't come to me quickly where it was. I, I remember signing up for it a while ago, and then it got hacked, and suddenly it was in Istanbul, Whoa. which is nobody's business but the Turks. Yeah, I mean it's not Constantinople, Constantinople anymore. anymore. No, it sure isn't. And uh, <laughs> I had to wrestle to get my account back, but when I got it back, they I might be hackers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were. Uh, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> other than some strange friends whom I quickly booted off, I, I quickly got up around about a uh, thousand and then up to fifteen hundred, which I'm pretty happy with. I'm, I'm attracting a good deal, many uh, new people, and I kind of like cultivating it. But I find where I say anything on Twitter, even if it's supportive or even sometimes just a rambling thought, I get a lot of blowback from people who have to feel it's their place to correct me. And while I don't mind, again, being corrected, where I'm going with this is uh, in response to being concise is that... Well, yeah, I mean, if you announce that, like, 2 plus 2 equals 5, then, you know, you, you kind of know... Yeah, you know you're going to be in Somebody's going to come along and let you know that that's not the case. But when we get into these semantic things, it, I suppose it does sting a little bit more to have a bunch of people show up going... You're like it. You're doing you it wrong. Okay. You, you mustn't have that opinion on this, you know, murky. You're like, only the precise shade of gray with which I agree is acceptable. No, no, no. Uh, two plus two, hey, we're all on the same page. That it's always four. That's what it is. And opinions don't really count for much in that. It's like, screw you, flat earthers. Uh, I find that, uh, well, anyway, where, where I was going to go is... I see where your frustration is here, dude. Yeah, where yeah. I was going to go is that I've, I've been spending a lot more time on Twitch and Discord, which I found a lot better huh. uh, to have a more lively conversation, even with people who disagree with me uh, wholeheartedly or ideologically. Just I have a lot convivial? Like people Yeah, back. it doesn't seem like their hackles, hackles are up. Or on yeah. Twitter, if I say, like, hey, I think, uh, you know, having a half-work option is good, I'll get hit in the face with a brick about, like, don't be a racist. And I'm like, how is it being racist while I'm supporting, like, having different uh, backgrounds for your character? I mean, just, I, I think they're part of the game, just exercising because somebody feels a little cringy about how people execute half-orcs in the game. They're always victims of incest and rape. Whoa! Stop! We're not talking, we're talking about half-orcs, not trailer park people. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when I try to turn it around like that, like, you know, if we were having a conversation, why don't we just make them like, uh, you yeah, know. this is not a Tennessee Williams novel. Right. Okay. So why don't, we, why don't we turn around like that and make something constructive out oh, of it? Deep cut. Deep cut, indeed. Why don't we have something where we have uh, a characters that make uh, sense, that maybe all the half-works are uh, 
foundlings or sometimes the uh, orcs raise them properly and you know they know who uh, their parents are and things like that i yeah that's all i was trying to get at but i gotta say when i do that on discord or twitch i find that people are a lot if there's disagreement we can hash it out and come to a term to find out where the source of the rancor disagreement is directly and i think that's in twitter twitterverse it is who hits the like buttons the most so I've just been liking a lot of people's things, and I'm going to continue to be on there. I'm, not, I'm just done with trying to promote, I think, the podcast because we tend to get a lot of unwanted attention from the people with very bad intentions. So, Yes, of which there are plenty out there to be found. I mean, you know, you don't have to look far afield uh, to run into people who kind of came with an axe to grind. Uh, they 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 came with no good intentions of any kind. They 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 were spoiling for a fight coming out of the gate, uh, and they're not going to go without a fight. I, you, you can't make a peaceful case for that. Uh, no, it's hard. So you, you got to go into it understanding that. Um, I I know feelings get hurt. You're like, wow, why are they still feeling that way? But, you know, they didn't come to be changed. No, they, they didn't. were not there to hear anything. They were there to tell. And that's what hurts oh. for me is because my You're that day old empathy. Change. I'm always looking to try to change somebody's opinion, not always for the better, or even have mine changed. And you know, I've changed my opinion several times over the last few years. Um, yeah, a little strange uh, ramble in the weeds. Is... Well, the world always presents you with new options. I mean been having really lucid dreams of exploring houses and so i was looking into that like why am i you know going into these houses in my dreams and then finding new rooms of familiar places that i've seen over and over oh dude and you know it shows that it's part of your personality that's opening up something you may have forgotten about or something that you didn't recognize was there until you started looking for it i don't know what other people have as like common recurring dreams but well you learned one of mine and it probably tells you a lot about me that I am constantly in dreams finding forgotten rooms. Yeah. Okay, rooms that like nobody has been in a long time, and they're always full of books. And I'm just like ecstatic. I mean, to me, that's the happiest dream ever. Like, oh my God, not one of these books has been touched in like, who knows, like maybe 40 or 50 years. There's titles in here that nobody even you knows. you got to go anymore. farther back than that. You need about 70 to 80 years. Well, you know, like 40 to 50 years that anybody's even been in there. Mm. And then, like, the, or- the origin point of the room could be as far back as 100 years, you know. Uh, and all the books are old and still intact and untouched. And that, that is, so, like, Mike's happy dream. So, yeah, I, I mean, oh, it shows so, that, okay, so you so have an awesome. open... You have an open um, you have a personality that's open to change and development. Both of those uh, dreams are very similar. So that's a little thing about uh, opinion about my uh, whereabouts mentally. And when I come on to debate somebody, is not to always put out sharp elbows, but always to come prepared to, yeah, fight. Kind of like your rowdy bar, but uh, I'm also here to have fun. And uh, so let's have some fun. And I do have fun. Frostbeard and uh, Dyson Logos and, of course, Joe. And a few others uh, have really entertained me uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, I've been there two, three years now, really active. And I'm still going to continue that. But I don't think I'm going to contribute much in trying to make this 
podcast part of it. I think it's uh, time to kind of maybe wend off and do my own thing, opening that door that has not <laughs> been open for a while. So I'm probably not going to pimp the Twitter as much. So anyway, that preamble done. We pretty much walked around a path really weird, but I like where it went. I like that. I like that. Yeah, nobody expected dream interpretation. Yeah, and end up looking that up. So, uh, cheers. Anywho, <laughs> less expected than a Spanish Inquisition. What we're going to talk about tonight? Um, this is kind of a little bit of a leftover, but I think it can be used at any time. So, kimonos, open or closed? We report, you decide. Mm. <laughs> Timely. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah. That kind of leaves me uh, a little off in the weeds there. Uh, I'm just going to uh, fade back into the background and choose some scenery. No, Did right. I derail the thought? Brain? Yes, you certainly did. So. <laughs> all right. But, uh, yeah, so what we're going to talk about tonight is some uh, ideas about... People talk about campaigns and the campaign development. What we're going to talk about is one of the essential things is the interplay between the dungeon masters and the players. And, of course, the playing field is your campaign. Now, whether you're playing a published one or you're playing a well, homebrew, doesn't really matter. I mean, you're if you're using a published one, I say that the preamble to this is that you would have to know your campaign material. So if it's homebrew, you obviously know that because you're the one who created it. And if it's uh, prepared material or pre-existing, then... You know, you have a, a task ahead of you in learning that and reading into it. Into it, excuse me. But that's all part of the parcel of the DM. And we've covered some of the topics here, so you may want to refresh yourself. This is kind of like an advanced course that we're going to talk about in immersion in your campaign. How to pull your players into it and how to narrate and use the backstories, plot points that you create and backstories that the players bring in. In the interplay between, I think, is a lot of exciting motion for a campaign to be fully realized. And also with that is some of the dressing or obstacles or, if you want, I guess, uh, stage scenery that you set with NPCs, uh, the encounters, and I guess I would also say nations, and uh, even environment that you place the players in becomes part of that. So... You know, that's kind of a secondary thing that we're going to touch on. So we've talked about NPCs and... And the third, <clears throat> and I think arguably uh, the most important point, the awkward marriage moment where player and their character expectations crash into the limitations of campaign uh, and setting. Well, and also that's an awkward moment for system. any DM. It's a tough, it's a tough moment. For everybody who has ever DM'd, you will run into that conflict sooner or later. And we're just going to talk about, you know, like, hey, how do we thread the needle? How do we resolve that crisis point? Because there are certain times where you will have to say, no, I truly don't believe that that is going to work in here. Uh, and other times where you, you know, can go back to the drawing board, work with the player, and find a happy medium. And, I mean, you should do that as often as possible. Uh, but... You know, what What are leading indicators that you should probably just put the foot down and say no? All right. So, all right. So we'll start off with the campaign world. Um, as you create a campaign or start one, you're obviously either going to be playing an episode of a sandbox or a uh, prepared module series or a series of pre-written material that 
decide either by yourself where the players in the campaign are going to go, and that's where you set the expectations. And a lot of times we talk about, go to session zero. But some people may still be a little... They haven't heard of session zero or know why that's so important. So I'm just going to briefly talk about it here, and then we'll move on. Session zero is where you sit down with your players, create the characters, talk about, first of all, what, as the DM, you expect this campaign to be and how it's going to go. And that's where you spell out some of the limitations and the expectations you have. And then the players create their characters based on that. Now that's in that session zero. You also have a secondary consideration wherein as a DM, you're just not there to just like throw out your sales pitch for the campaign. You're also there to listen. And this is the one where I find myself still having problems with this is listening correctly to your players. And it doesn't mean that everything that they're going to do at that point has to be fully considered or even realized. But you should have a record of it. Now, if you want to, you can have players, uh, I guess, submit it by uh, text message or copy it down some way, take a picture of it. But keep a record of it. Even if it's just, you know, the briefest of notes. Like, player has a undetermined parentage. They're a bastard. And you want to make note of that then. Um you also may also say, uh, you know, I expect some player to be like a, a paladin or a cleric of a goodly religion in this game. And so you would want to also say that there. Or characters of evil line are completely outside the scope of what I want to run for this campaign. Yeah, that this is probably moment one for our third and later point. We'll go into greater detail about right. it. But, uh, you know, this would be your warning moment where you get a chance to know that Honestly, uh, this should be your first opportunity to decide if a character core concept is going to come into direct conflict with the core notions behind the campaign and setting. Uh, so th that's your waiting pool. This is where the toes dip in and you right, find and, out. And we're just recapping Session Zero a little bit for those who... Because uh, we've talked about it in the past, for those who may wonder what it is. Because one of the things is we always assume that everybody knows what we know. or And with that sometimes comes some expectations that don't deliver quite well on the remarks that we want to, and points we want to get across. So I'm just kind of opening that back up. But so you got your campaign, you set down, you've got the characters created, and you start play. All right, great. So one of the ways to work in immersion is not only to have a good narrative and be precise in your storytelling, but also to give players an opportunity to express themselves. Be heroic. This is why you're playing role-playing games. Whether you're playing a science fiction one and they want to be a rampaging combat monster in that one, or they want to be a hulking brute, Sir slays all in a fantasy game, the concept is still pretty much the same. <laughs> I don't think that really... Uh, you always have somebody who like shoots stuff really well or kills things really good. Or just kill it with fire. <laughs> yep. And uh, you can use those uh, moments to design your encounters and help highlight what players want to pl uh, play and fight against or even experience. Whether it's a deeply political role-playing game or an intrigue-filled uh, urban campaign, you've got all the makings right there to under with your players to help you write and express the stories that you guys want to play in and tell at the table. And so that's the environment you have in. And so some of the things that you have are not only 
say, the terrain or some of the conditions they find themselves on, whether it's an abandoned space station or it's a remote fortress that's struggling on the hinterlands, you're all going to have that same kind of experience when you're setting that right up from the start. This is your base. This is where you're starting from. This is your first couple games. Your players are going to tell you right away what they want and what they don't want. And if they don't want to be in this remote place and they want to move somewhere else, then, you know, move heaven and earth by all means to make that happen. <laughs> but also don't let your players, just because their expectations they didn't pay attention closely in session zero, force you into making a, some changes in the game that you just don't think are right for right now. If you want to start them out at low level of experience and make them struggle for every gold piece where every silver and copper do count in the long run, they add up. Um, this oh, is the, I've done that. Yeah, don't let the players like, well, we want to play something more high fantasy. Well, maybe be a little bit confusing. But also, that's where you find where we talk about where these two expectations clash. So, when I say move heaven and earth, I mean <clears throat> literally listen, make a judgment, but be fair. Be fair to yourself because you've worked hard to make this, but also make sure that your players are engaged enough. If they're bored... Your campaign's going to fail. Now, a uh, perfect example uh, of player expectations being somewhat different than the initial campaign setting. Uh, imagine trying to play Dark Sun, which is more of a Bronze Age technology mixed with, uh, you know, psionic magic. Oh, yeah. And you almost met- would say Stone Age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is not an environment that is conducive to the traditional notions of high medieval era fantasy. So if you have players coming in with the expectation that that is what they're going to get, then you're going to have inevitable disappointment. You know, so that session zero where you explain what the parameters are right before character creation is essential. You know, like get the expectations out on the table. Uh, what does this campaign allow? What does it limit? Uh, what kind of modules are you going to be running without giving away the exact plots? Right. Hints like, yes, you will want to be prepared for some, for both indoor and outdoor combat, but you should also be thoughtful about preparing for courtly decorum and the ability to communicate with, uh, you know, a... Uh, social setting that has uh, very serious ramifications for failure. If you go into these social circumstances completely unprepared and you blow it, uh, it will diminish a lot of your opportunities. I'm a big fan of not having absolute 100% failure or die scenarios, but you know, if the players are going to miss out on a lot of opportunities for want of a few skill sets, uh, it's a good thing to let people know right, right out of the gate. And again, that session zero is important because you can get to see what the character sheets look like, as well as develop throughout the campaign. But as a DM, you should also uh, be able to communicate to players in between sessions about like, hey, you know, maybe we want to have somebody with uh, a little bit better diplomacy skills because you're going to be coming into these areas. This is foreshadowing where you're going to have to start dealing with some different uh, tribal leaders and other 
high uh, level characters with great influence, you're going to have to deal with them. I don't know what you would call in Dark Sun the nobles. I mean, they did have nobles, but yeah, it's kind of uh, a little <laughs> bit of a limited concept there. Very removed, but you're going to have to be dealing with characters that don't always deal with force first. So, but they will assert force if they feel slightened or threatened or don't get what they want, especially if they're greedy and voracious. If they're used to just taking what they want by force and negotiating later, yeah, it's probably going to end up in a fight with most player character groups. So you need to understand if you've got a bunch of hothead combat heavy types, rather than making a failure or success scenario, put different levels of, there can be a couple rounds of fighting and then finally, okay, okay, this isn't getting us anywhere. You know, one level-headed person among them after the hotheads get killed or laid low can arise up and say, look, we need to stop fighting. This is getting us nowhere. This violence is senseless. Well, if it was it meant any sense at all, we wouldn't be here, would we? No. Gentlemen, gentlemen, there's no fighting in the war room. True enough. <laughs> but in any case... Yeah, so you would want to know that, okay, you don't have many characters with diplomacy skills. So what do they have? Well, they have a lot of combat abilities. So we're just working off the concept here that maybe you're working with a group of murder hobos who are just a little combat happy. Um, they're not actually going out and murdering everything they see, but they are going out and looking for trouble. Kind of like um, some of the situations <laughs> in Knights of the Dinner Table where the constantly frustrated uh, DM or harried DM uh B.A. is constantly trying to get his characters to roleplay. Well, his first problem is, the reason why he runs into so many conflicts and frustrations is because he's trying to drag his players into something that they don't want to do. And maybe he's sick and tired of running combat-heavy encounters. Then it's maybe time to sit down and say, Hey guys, I would like to do something different. And if they're not on board, maybe it's time to find some new players. I, I do kind of have that... I understand with the Knights of Dinner Table being a long-running joke and reference that not everybody gets here that we often bring up. I would like to say that uh, while I love my players that I've known for years, uh, I have gone out and found new players to do different things if they are not willing to oblige my interest at the time. Yeah, and if you really want to DM a paranoia campaign and you've got uh, you know four players who absolutely despise being bigfooted or put in catch-22 scenarios, then you have a situation of wrong campaign setting and style of play for that audience. And there does come a moment where the, the would-be DM must come to terms with the fact that you've got to match the material to the crowd. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a performer's issue. You... There are just some jokes are going to fall flat. So you retool, you go back to the drawing board, and if you like the players you have, you're going to have to come to terms with preparing material that they are ready to embrace. Now, if you have genuine hostility to an idea, uh, that leaves you with one of two options, which is go back to the drawing board and come up with some material that they embrace and enjoy, or... Go find a different audience. Uh, and that that's it's unpleasant to put it as just those two harsh options. I, I, I get provided as be... more of an example of the, the harshness that uh, often the comic book storyline presents continually as a source of its humor and also aggravation to its 
titular character, which, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm hard-pressed to say who is the titular character. Is it uh, BA or is it his players? And if it's his players, which one? And if it is just the group of if the DM versus the players and the Knights of the Table, which um, this is already going too far into analysis. But to uh, shorten it up, I would just say that if you're friends with people, they're going to remain your friends without you having to come to uh, conflict over saying, hey, you know, uh, maybe paranoia isn't the game for this group. Yeah. There's no hard feelings about that. But now that you've established these things and the players understand that they've made characters that sort of fit in with the scope. And if they, if you're getting into situations where through a uh, prepared scenario where you have, like, they must make a diplomacy role with this titular character, a NPC of noble or significant rank, and they fail, well, have there be consequences. But more to the point, having players get enthralled into the campaign world requires not only good storytelling and good game management skills, like as we've just discussed with making encounters that interest your players, but also having interesting NPCs. And this is what we talk about reusing material and harvesting things. So here's a little advanced cliff note. So get your pencils ready. Um, almost everything you watch, almost everything you read or even listen to, Oh, yeah. can be utilized in a role-playing game, whether it's a character. And I'm just going to pull off one here. I know well, we uh, kind of already have this planned out a little bit, but a character that I've often used, and it's hard to tell that I'm using him, is Cliff Clavin off of Cheers. Now, if you haven't seen Cheers, this is going to be completely lost on you, so I'm just going to put this in a broad term. He's a know-it-all. If you're talking about something like Nuclear physics, he knows more than you do, and he's going to tell you. Now, how I use this character is not like Cliff Clavin. I don't speak like him. Well, you know, actually, the uh, orcs of Heldegard are not fond of pole arms. They're actually fond of pikes, which is a completely different class of weapon. Okay, he would have that conversation. What I always use that character for is he's always the one that has false information, except when he doesn't. And, of course, what I'm doing is... Setting up situations where the players, like, they listen too hard at him. And I assault it pretty well with seeds, like, of doubt. Sometimes more subtle than others. Like, well, they say that the orcs up in those hills in the Caves of Chaos have a demon working for them. Um, yeah, you're going to know that's complete balderdash. But, you know, the Lizardmen of the uh, Salt Marsh are actually open to negotiation. I've seen it. That's maybe a, something that you can thread in there. Now, you use this character as both a foil and a character that shows up so that you know, the players know, if they need to make a gather information role or discern some rumors about local activities, then you can, of course, use this character right away as a go-to. It's familiar, it's reliable, and also having characters know the places, not just by name, but also the attitudes of certain characters. NPCs, And what I like to do is write a quick synopsis of the character. You don't have to have a lot of stats. You just have to have three or four traits that describe the NPC. Officious, aloof, judgmental, and patriarchal. Yes, sounds like a dick. Well, congratulations. You've just figured out in four concise words how to play this NPC in almost any situation. They're always going to be the one that's right. They're always better than you. And they also have predetermined notions about what is proper and what is not. So, And that's just 
one NPC. The the process of filling a world with people with wildly different uh, opinions about everything is admittedly laborious. Uh, I, I'm not saying that every NPC should have intensely detailed notes about their entire private life, but when we mention culling or harvesting from every possible form of medium, when you need to bring NPCs to life rapidly, like in a social situation where the players are going to encounter like 12 or 13 different NPCs in the space of like one evening, it is incredibly helpful to when you absorb other media during the week, during the month, during the year, Whatever it is that you're watching, whatever show you're seeing, uh, look at those side characters. Think about their traits. Uh, how would you translate that person's behavior into a fantasy role-playing setting or whatever setting you're in? And then keep that shelved in the back of your mind. Uh, and if you've seen shows where they've got like that, all right, ludicrous example here. Sure. Take the wildly divergent personalities present in the show The Office. Okay, yeah, the very good one, right okay. there. Okay, yep. because they're such, you know, like lively uh, and yet very unique persons. Can you imagine? You're like a a uh, a mage based on Shruti. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you know, just well, yeah. There you go. Yeah, know it all, really intelligent, and also extremely powerful in certain circumstances. <laughs> More than a little weird. Well, yeah, more than a little weird. <laughs> uh, but there's the point, is you, you take from these pop culture references uh, the ability to very quickly create a variety of NPCs with wonderfully unique personalities that will either be pet peeves or instant favorites. Okay, some of them will annoy the crap out of players. Others will instantly endear themselves, like... You know, right, like, and then you... I love our local blacksmith. He is like it's just literally jock rocking high fives every time we go there. <laughs> uh, that guy is a total hit. Uh, however, the the Duke's valet, who is incredibly supercilious and treats the characters like complete dirt every single time, but waggles money in front of them. Like, Yes, yes, dance for the gold pieces, you cheeky little monkeys. Uh, you know, Here to siphon off some more funds for my <laughs> dying patriarch. I'm sure it's, you know, for your, the medicine you purchase in the, you know, special brown bag. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, just nothing but sass. Just, and, and just nothing but vituperation and insults to the players. Vituperation, yeah, that wow, hate. thank you. All right, yeah, I, I broke loose the, the big nickel words. Wow. All right. But continue, I'm sorry. No, but it's the process of filling a world with personalities that engage the players and make the place come to life. And And don't forget Black Beauty. Don't get too close. If you create a wide variety of these by, on the spur of the moment, borrowing from different television or film or anime sources, uh, what have you, you will want to keep notes as you use them. Right. And that's what we're talking about. With just You don't always have to keep copious notes. Sometimes 
just the barest of notes that help you. And having this catalog of mental characters, even when they're used from a variety of sources that you normally wouldn't associate, try to avoid using characters like that would be easily identifiable, like Alfred, or even if you're using Dwight Schrute, uh, instead of him knowing all about turnips, uh, maybe he knows all about some esoteric. I was going plant. to say perfect for herbalist shop. You know, run by a mage who is eccentric and. <laughs> well, no, you know he's a mage. My family running... owns a major farm. Yeah, you know, we grow all our herbs ourselves. You know, just knows about some kind of obscure plant or even material component. Nonetheless, let me tell you the entire history of the mandrake root. Exactly. <laughs> and so you'd want to have that character just available in your mind. You can pull them out, and then when you use them, write down the name and a few characteristics during play. And then later, if they're coming back and using them over and over, then you want to stat them out a little bit more and start to set some ground rules. But this is how you use an immersion, and these are some of the uh, time-saving techniques because literally Dwight Schrute was written by another writer. So it wasn't just appeared fully formed from Zeus's head, but just came out uh, from some writer's pen, written on paper and then translated by an actor, and it made an impression. Also, other things. Uh, I would definitely stay away from any major pop sources like, oh, um, well, just as an example, Harry Potter, because so many people have read it and they're very in intimately familiar with that. You can use some of the peripheral characters, but uh, I had one guy who was running a campaign who used Dobby, just whole cloth. And I was like, yeah, it was quite disconcerting that he was using Dobby, the little elf. Oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Did, wait, complete with the voice? Yep. Oh, God. yeah. Yeah. You always change some stuff up. Always try to scrub off the serial numbers at the bare minimum. Yeah. Minute two of that would have pretty much exhausted me. Yeah. I, I, I did have a player who attempted to do a halfling voice uh, that was literally like uh, fingernails on a chalkboard. Uh, yeah, some people can do that, you know. Yeah, it, and I mean, 30 seconds of that, and literally you could see like the, the hair on the back of everybody's neck, like standing straight up. To, eh! Oh, God, please, never let him talk again. Kill him, kill him, kill him with fire. Yeah, so, so while you yeah, go, there are limits. There are limits, but while we're talking about this, is so that you can use these tools to help pull players in and maintain your campaign with a minimal of fuss. Whether, and this is time-saving methods, but they also work to make your characters feel engaged in a living campaign world that supports them. And sometimes you have to think on your feet, and sometimes you have to move things around to help accommodate your players' expectations and current goals. Sometimes they may feel like, well, they're being railroaded on a path. And so to help facilitate that, you need to open it up and give them different options. Although the options will all lead them to the same place, that's just fine. They don't need to know that. It's up for you to determine what parts of the campaign are worth salvaging and which ones are not working and cut them and leave them behind. Just in the same way of doing certain things about what your decision making is for what games you're going to play with whom. So having set those parameters, these are where now your biggest conflicts are going to happen. As you're running the campaign, you're going to find over a period of time that players are going to want to do things. And you want to encourage them, but what if the things that they want to do just aren't in the scope of what either the system, the campaign, or even what the other players want to do? Sometimes you have a player that wants all the camera time on them. And obviously that can't happen. 
happen. Yeah, that is one of the harsher realities here. I mean, that's that's one where uh, when back at the beginning when we mm-hmm. talked about leading indicators that yeah, now we're coming back in that third part. You're going to have to lay down the law. Yeah, it's not fun. Nobody wants to do it. Like no DM comes to the table going, I want like interpersonal conflict, not between characters, but with actual players and the DM. You know, you you want conflict in the game. You don't want conflict at the table. Um, they're two very different things. Nobody wants it. But there are going to be moments where that happens, and you that's one of those ones where you've got to be firm. Yeah, I'm with currently having that. five players and one person uh, hunting for as much attention as humanly possible, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, look, I, you know, there's five other people at the table or four other people at the table here, and we got to get some some screen time for everybody. Uh, Right, and I'm running into that with mine, and the, the best way to head off inter-table uh, poly- conflict between the, the characters themselves and not the DM is to start a fight with the players with a old NPC adversary, or make a new one, or make have a neutral one show up who is not necessarily like good or evil or easily identifiable, but at odds with the player's needs or wants at the time. It could be another adventuring party. Which, for a lot of DMs, I should make a preface on this, it's very hard for a lot of DMs to, on the fly, come out with pre-prepared, challenging adversarial parties. But I would also point to Pathfinder's uh, Villain Codex and even some of the NPC Codexes for ease of quickly generating stats. The personalities, again, if you're uh, quick on your feet and nimble, you can grab... uh, Archetypes from popular media or even uh, obscure media, which I tend to do a lot more. Oh, yeah. The more obscure, the, the better. better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they don't see it coming. And get together. You know, as long as you got stats, you can have combat. So that's one of my big things. If I have stats, you can kill it. And uh, so put that into the mix, and you'll see the players come back together. Because naturally, they have to work together or they won't live very long. Or be successful, if nothing else. And... It's in those interplays that the interesting parts of a campaign develop and the playing field that is your campaign where the DM and the players are playing the game together are the most. And this is where the DM is a player, has his most input or their most input put into the campaign directly by creating situations, adversaries, friends, and even neutrals that this is your playground and your players are experiencing it and you're participating in it by creating new material and being challenged. And that's the big thing that with long-term player management that you come in with the expectations of your players and your own being met. And you have to pull the players in sometimes and sometimes the players will pull you. And this is where we're going to slowly wrap it up here is talking about where we began with the player, uh, session zero, with players outlining their backgrounds and expectations. I, I do want to touch on a, another okay. leading indicator of something that uh, is going horribly awry. I mean, beyond the the fairly familiar one we just went through, uh, another moment where you're sure to have conflict rather than uh, 
the player demanding more attention that can be doled out to one out of five people. Uh, there's also probably a, a I, I think a leading issue is unrealistic expectations starting to manifest as the levels go up. Um, <clears throat> if the player has a grandiose plan that is going to require uh, dragging the rest along the rest of the party along as like an afterthought uh, to pursue their own plot. It's great to have a background story. And if everybody has one, you can kind of work out a way to have each uh, player in the group get their opportunity to shine. Uh, but if only one has that, uh, and they expect that to be a part of every ongoing uh, session, uh, that that's going to be a little problematic. I mean, it, it is pursuant to the excess focus on one individual. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they have an, a scheme that takes it into the realm of the OP. Uh, yes, that my uncertain character, par character parentage means that I am the direct heir to the Empire. And I'm next in line for the throne. If that's our expectation, um, yeah, you're feel free to kibosh that. <laughs> and uh, um, if they spring it on you by surprise. Yes. Uh, Remember where I said then, my character was had uncertain parentage? I begin to uh, push around for my rightful claim to the throne. <laughs> okay, as the DM, I accept your decision. And like literally next session, they're assassinated in their own bed by the forces uh, who want to make sure that uh, yeah, the making, throne remains firmly in their hands. <laughs> what your character has made their intentions known and their claim, rightful claim to the throne... Public, they're dead. They're found dead next morning. And there are many questions, but there's not much investigation since your character has very few supporters. They even burned the corpse. Yeah. They tend to do that. They, they hung a do not raise sign. Took that one. All right. Yeah, so... And so, this goes back to the backstory thing. Um, players will often write out uh, a backstory. And some will do more than others. Others will just uh, basically... Uh, wing it. They'll just throw out something there. The uh, my character was raised by wolves, and ergo, no one cares. As a DM, feel free to say, "Okay, you're raised by wolves, but did you know one of those wolves was a magical wolf, a prince who was turned into a wolf and had to suffer through years, and finally he was freed." And da 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 da. And you can write a whole bunch of stuff into that. And the player's like, "Well, I said my character was raised by wolves, so I wouldn't have to have any backstory uh, pulling me into your." silly campaign notes uh, well you know that is kind of the tough breaks for the players because sometimes they forget that this is your campaign too now you want to be careful doing this because if you overwrite too much or you assert too much control over a character's backstories they're going to get kind of well they're going to be pissed and second of all they're going to start working very hard not to participate in anything that's not completely spelled out or nailed down perfectly and that i would phrase that as Avoiding the straitjacket. Uh, this is one where I'm, I'm instead of highlighting something that players do wrong, I, it's worth mentioning that like one thing that sometimes DMs get wrong is they have a great idea, they have a big picture. You've got your George R. R. Martin, uh, you know, battle for it all uh, in the back of your mind, 
and you try to bring it to life in a role-playing setting for your players, but they have other plans. And those plans don't necessarily align with your head canon. Uh, it's a rude awakening for a budding creative to put something into RPG terms and then suddenly find themselves almost incapable of keeping the players inside the boundaries. Of right. And that's, you know, I, I, I may harp too much on the things that players go awry with, but this is the important moment that any DM can be susceptible to this. It's happened to almost all of us that I have hey, ever so known. It is taken, it is... Myself included. Yeah, we've all done uh, bad things behind the screen. The big thing is not punishing yourself for them, but learning the lessons and mistakes and moving forwards. Ever be moving forwards is kind of what we try to do around here at the Dice of Screaming, besides bumbling into things. <laughs> Always forward. Yeah, you know, you can only, you can't go back and change the past. You can only change. So, how do you avoid the straitjacket? For starters, right out of the gate, uh, nerf unreasonable expectations. Just accept that, like, hey, you know what, I'm going to interact with four or five different personalities as I do this. You know, understand that entirely going in that there's going to be a group of Radically different people with different expectations, different hopes, different wants. You know, what they they come to get out of a game is probably going to deviate somewhat from what you expect. Uh, so when you design a campaign and build a setting and populate it, and it comes with certain strictures, look very closely at how much do these strictures prohibit. Like... Right. If you've made a campaign where there are no fighters, <laughs> whoa, okay, this that's a pretty major thing. All right, just that that's your first warning shot across the starboard bow that you may have made such a radical alteration. You're going to have a lot of players that are like, I, um, uh, I, I'm not sure how to handle this. Well, you certainly got me interested in playing a bard. So now, on the other hand. If the strictures are, there's no such thing as cheese because there are no cows. Not such a big deal. That's more like background flavor. It's not right, really yeah. Although I'm sure some of us will miss cheese, but it, it's not going to be a world shattering. No. It's just a piece of local color. Having a lot of local color and descriptives and like unique terminology, names of coins, names for languages, names for cities and countries... Having all of that fill-in-the-blank stuff done custom is fun and interesting, and I, I don't think it in any way impedes gameplay. But major structural changes to the game that diminish what players might be able to play, I'm, I'm going to cautiously say avoid that large scale of a disruption. Right, and also, it's okay to say no. Here we are going to be self-contradictory. It's okay to say no to some player ideas, oh. but it's also yeah. well-intentioned to explain your reasons for that and not just simply chop it off at as it's budding and say, that's it, and I'm not listening. I always try to have what I call the five-minute sell. Sell me this idea in five minutes. And if you can do that, I'm going to change my mind. 
And it doesn't mean that like I, I set impossible standards. I just listen. I don't say anything. I just let the players listen, uh, say what they want. I listen. And then if there's something I really feel is wrong, I reevaluate my position completely and try to narrate that and express it as, as succinctly as I can. If I still think that it's not going to work, I move on and just simply say, you know, it's, this is not something that's really going to work. Like, why can't I start my game, my character with a plus five Holy Avenger? Well, these are the reasons why. You're going to completely diminish earning such an item. And it's going to also overpower the game that we can't do anything. But if you want to say later on, there's a Holy Avenger in your, in your future, which is one of the things I did. I really want a Holy Avenger at some point in time. Okay, boy, did I earn it. Yeah, well, well, I got we'll smashed. Sure. I, I had to go gather all the material components and make it. I, well, I can't make it. I'm a paladin. I, well, these wizards are going to make it for you. Wizards and clerics. And so that's what they're going to do. But they need you to go get the stuff. So, yeah, I had to go play an NPC while my character was off collecting stuff. And, you know, I fill in with solo sessions. So well, I did earn it. I'm a big fan of uh, when presented with, uh, you know, custom character options that I, I, I'm a big believer in the pro and con, mm -hmm. that every pro has its con, every con right. has its pro. Uh, if somebody is looking for an advantage to be taken, then they've got to accept a downside along with it. Uh, and those two things should always be perfectly balanced. So if you, you have a character that has a unique birthright that affords them some benefits, there should be some downsides. Like, yeah, well, if you ever travel into this other country, uh, where they despise your entire family and you're like you are their mortal foe, uh, you have to basically go in disguise and pretend to be somebody else or you will be murdered in the street or imprisoned instantly. Uh, you know, attach an upside to every downside and a downside to every upside. That's one way to find a way to give a player a lot of what they want while accepting responsibility for it. You're like, yeah. ah, this is not coming for free, dude. You're, you're not going to be first level and have 10,000 gold pieces. Um, you know, <laughs> it just, there's no, there is no way to that without some hideous deficit creeping up and spoiling it for you. Uh, that's one of the ways I like to balance those things. And if, if they're comfortable giving the DM some leeway for, uh, interesting RP experiences, uh, by making themselves vulnerable to those issues, then they're really committed to this. Now, yep. if they're just looking for a freebie there, you're probably going to back off when they're and presented with a problem. And you succeeded in the main part, which we're, where we start out with. You drew your players into the campaign. And see, that's the where we're talking about here. Is those things get the players interested and keep them coming back and excited for developing and playing these characters over and over. But as the time winds on, we are well oh, past yeah. our mark. So we our... have definitely uh, exceeded our mark. We are in the red now. So we're going to wind it up here. We hope you enjoyed our little podcast. And, of course, if you have any comments and concerns, which I'm pretty sure you do, and maybe Howl some questions. Howl them into the too. void, and our spirits will receive them. Yes, uh, let us know on our Facebook page, or, of course, you can download that Anchor app and uh, send us a voice message, and we'll put you on our podcast and talk about it then. But, of course, you our Facebook page is just right on Facebook, the Dyson Streaming. You can find us there. And, of course, all the irregular haunts that uh, you can find us at will be there as well. So, without further ado, may the dice always roll in your favor.
We're out. See ya. Thank you.